Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It started as a relatively routine road accident in the Sierra Leone capital of Freetown last Friday night. Within minutes, more than 100 people were dead and many more had been horribly injured. This busy area is called Wellington in eastern Freetown and it's kind of like a main road. Sally Hayden, who covers stories coming out of Africa for the Irish Times, lives in Freetown. There was a fuel tanker that was doing a turn and a truck apparently, according to witnesses anyway, came speeding along, hit into the fuel tanker. The result of that was that fuel began leaking from the tanker. And people who saw that, they rushed in with containers to try and gather the fuel so that they could either use it or sell it. Um, So a lot more people were in this area than, than would have been otherwise. I did hear from many witnesses that the fuel tanker driver, he got down and he said that people should get away from the scene because it was going to be dangerous. But nobody really followed that. And this apparently went on for about 45 minutes. That's what witnesses said because the road had been blocked and this is a busy road. There was a build-up of vehicles and we don't know exactly what started the fire, but one witness who I spoke to said that he saw a motorbike that came speeding along without realising that the road was blocked, then realised that the road was blocked and did a very fast turn. And he thinks that maybe this spark came from the exhaust pipe, but we don't know that for certain. And so, yeah, then there was an explosion, a massive fire, the fire spread very far. Yeah, at least now the death toll has reached at least 101, but I was just in a hospital just there and they said six more people died overnight. So it seems like potentially it's at at least 107 now. This all happened, as you said, in a place called Wellington, which is in the east of Freetown. What's that part of the town like? And what would have been happening there at that time of day on a typical Friday evening? So a lot of people do business here in the evening. That's like a very standard thing. Um, So it would be very busy. You know, this was a busy road. There are trucks, buses, minibuses, keke, like keke taxis. They're kind of like tuk-tuks. Okada drivers, that's like motorbike drivers. They often carry like multiple people on the back. A lot of the victims were two particular groups of people. So Okada drivers apparently were a lot of them um, surged in to try and get the fuel from the truck. And then also there were a lot of female traders. So there's women who kind of stand with 
like buckets of soft drinks or sweets or tissues or things that they can sell to people who are on buses or who are stuck in the traffic. And so they would have been doing their business by the side of the road in this exact area as well. So a lot of the victims appear to be them and the motorbike drivers. And there were 42 at least charred motorbikes that were found on the scene. And it's told that they were parked as the drivers ran in to get the fuel. They left their bikes there. And then there were also people who were stuck in commercial vehicles who couldn't get out. So at least too many buses, I'm told that people were killed inside them because they just weren't able to get out fast enough. Why would so many people flock to a fuel truck to try and get something, given the obvious dangers uh, when doing something like that? One litre of fuel here, it sells for about 10,000 leones. That's about one dollar. And so that gives you an indication of like how people how desperate people are basically but people here you won't you don't necessarily earn you know they might earn a dollar a day two dollars a day three dollars a day so that is a large amount of money you know so basically if they got one liter or two liters of fuel that would be the equivalent of a day's work it could be yeah i mean it depends what type of work they're doing of course but yeah that's a significant amount for people here I interviewed one woman whose son was one of those who ran in and he apparently had run back home, emptied all the water cans that they had in their house and told his mother, I'm going to get us money and ran off with the water cans. And she realized afterwards that he had gone to get that fuel and he was one of the victims. The tragedy was 100% compounded by the fact that there's just so much poverty in this region and that's why people were rushing in to gather this fuel. And after the explosion happened, what was the response of the emergency services in Freetown? So, I mean, I've heard different testimonies on this. Um, one woman did say that fire trucks came twice and didn't respond because they were too overwhelmed by the scale of the fire. And she said then they returned a, a third time with two trucks that time. And that was when they actually started fighting it. So she said her house was destroyed. She said that that had happened um, before they actually started fighting. But then all of a sudden, we just heard boom. The fire just started. So I went to the scene of the disaster the day after it happened. And there were crowds milling around, like a lot of whom weren't necessarily actually based there or weren't necessarily there at the time of the tragedy. Um, So I guess people also just wanted to see what had happened. And there was a lot of confusion over what had happened. But one of the women that I interviewed, she was called Fulika Masakoi. Actually, yesterday was a normal day that we wanted to... And she actually lived right beside the blast. So she lived there with, I think, 16 total in the family. Um, five children, her brother, so it was her brother's children, her children. They also ran a bar on the premises, so it was their workplace as well. And the house and the bar were completely destroyed, and so she gave me a tour of this. This is my room. As you can see, everything got burned. And it was literally covered in ash, like everything was covered in ash, charred, and parts of the ground were still smoking. As you can see, everything here got burned up. Everything is ruined. She showed me, you know, this is my room, this was our bar, this was our storeroom. Everything is gone. So how are we going to start back? How are we going to send our kids to school? There is nothing, no books, nothing. She said that they escaped, their family escaped through the back window. They said that the boy who worked there, so they had one 18-year-old who used to clean the bar and he had been killed during the explosion and they had actually seen him running. 
there were people on fire who were desperately trying to get help, just running everywhere. And he was one of them. And she just said his whole body was consumed in flames, like there was nothing they could do, you know. Everybody was just so frightened trying to get away. But yeah, she seemed very haunted by that. So I asked her, I mean, I ask everybody because as a journalist, you know, obviously it's not your job to help, but you do go around and say, you know, what do you need? How has the response been? Are you getting, you know, has anybody been trying to help you or has the government done anything? She said people who said they were from the government anyway had come and taken her name and her number, but she hadn't heard anything more from them. And she was saying that her family were left with out anything basically you know their clothes were gone I even asked her for her phone number she said her phone was destroyed so she can't give me a phone number like they couldn't contact relatives to get help because they didn't have their numbers or phones you know um yeah she said they had kids all the kids like educational stuff was gone and I mean that's one of the big questions after a tragedy like this is like what kind of help are people going to get will the government step in like this is a developing country you know they they have quite limited resources so it's not like maybe it might be in Ireland like you really have to fight to get any assistance after a disaster like this and so yeah like many others she was appealing as well for help we don't know if there are people out there that can help us. We got kids, they need to go to school. There is no way, we don't know, we have no hopes. We have no hopes of someone coming to our rescue. So we are begging on you out there. If you feel you can help us, we'll really appreciate it. The families of the victims or of the people now missing fear dead are trying to find out what has become of their loved ones in all that chaos. You were at two of the hospitals where the families have been congregating. How difficult is it for them to find out what's been happening? Yeah, I've been to two of the hospitals. The way that the blast happened, actually, a large number of the dead aren't identifiable at all. And I think now there will be an effort to take samples from the bodies and maybe do DNA testing or something like that. But I know that they're like in the meetings that I've attended, they said they don't think they have the capacity to do that in country. And so there are family members who are just searching for their relatives who have no idea, are they dead? Are they in a hospital? In one of them, they posted the list of the people that they were treating on the wall outside. So some family members, you know, they were looking for the names, they couldn't see the name of their person. So they were saying, they were finding it very hard to get information. And the people who even knew that they had a relative inside the ward, they still were finding it hard to get information about what condition they were in. They hadn't been allowed to see them in many cases. That one hospital, Connacht, had publicised the list, but the other I went to is a military hospital. They're not publicising the list because they said, this is what the man in charge of medical care told me, that... um because a lot of people here have quite similar names. He's worried if they just publicize a list without, you know, an address or without a, an age or, you know, even if they do put in that, but it's not specific enough that they could cause a lot of um, panic when the person that they have is actually not the right person that somebody else is looking for. So it's quite, you know, it's quite complicated. And I've actually been approached by like quite a few families now and asked myself to check, are these people on the list? So I've also been doing that, you know, in that hospital, I had a list of people. I was like, is this person on? Is this person on? And they were, those ones weren't on. And what about the hospitals? How well equipped are they to deal with all the patients they've had to deal with? 
they they were running out of medical supplies when I went in. So I actually ended up in both burn wards, which was not on purpose. Um, but uh, like I didn't, you know, I didn't ask for access. I didn't want to disturb patients while they're being treated. But actually in both hospitals, I was kind of brought in to speak to somebody in, in one of the wards where people were being treated. Um, but yeah, in both in both cases, they were telling me that they were running out of medical supplies, uh, antibiotics, IV fluids, painkillers, um, all of this. But the World Health Organization, they've now pledged to send 6.6 tons of medical equipment. So hopefully that does make some difference. Will it get there in time, do you think, the World Health Organization equipment? Yeah, I think one ton arrived on Sunday and then um, I think the rest was supposed to arrive today, but I'm not certain if it has yet. But yeah, hopefully that'll make a difference. And they also said they'll send burn experts. But I mean, it's really like, you know, the hospitals here really struggle. Like they have different disasters like quite regularly and each time they have to adapt. And in the 34 military hospital that I was um, that I was just in, they said they're treating the burn patients in what was the COVID ward. So it was the COVID ward in June. And that was when we had a big surge here because of the Delta variant. And now um, there's not so much, you know, coronavirus isn't such a problem at the moment in terms of like hospitalization. So they're now using the exact same word to treat the, uh, the victims of this. And how has the city responded to this terrible tragedy in terms of the government, in terms of the people? So the president, uh, Julius Matabayo, he cut short his visit to the UK. Um, he was at COP26 and he's come back early and he's now visited the hospitals and the site of the explosion. They able to coordinate the police, the military and the health workers then. To make the able to collect the one with body is really bad. To make to see how we will give them a dignified barrier. And he made a national address last night and he said that treatment for the victims is going to be free and he also declared three days of mourning. I actually went to the morgue this morning because I had been speaking to people whose family members are missing and they said that they had tried to go to the morgue and they had been turned away and they were told to come back on Monday. And when I got there, there was a man whose nephew was one of the identifiable victims. He said that he was being charged um, the equivalent of $50 to get his nephew's body released. And that's, you know, far too much money for him. Like that's totally unaffordable. And, you know, after hearing the president on TV last night saying everything would be free, this was also kind of shocking for us. So I couldn't imagine like the devastation of, you know, you have to go identify your loved one in this situation. And then you get told if you want to take the body, you have to pay. And otherwise they're going to be buried in like a mass burial, like a mass grave, you know. And there has been a mass burial, hasn't there? Yeah, the government felt that a mass burial was necessary because, um, a large number weren't identifiable. I think of the people who died on the night, just six were actually identifiable and the rest were just basically, you know, so charred or or turned to ashes, some of the people who witnessed it told me. And so, yeah, there was a discussion about what to do and actually uh, the decision was made to bury them in the same places. So there was a big mudslide here in 2017, which killed um, 1,100 people. And some of those victims were also buried in this same site. And then there was also the Ebola outbreak here, which was 2014 to 2015. So it's the same cemetery, I believe, that these victims are now being buried in.
Coming up, it's another setback for a country sick of being best known for its troubled history. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Sally, you're based in Freetown. It's a place that most Irish people will be unfamiliar with. Can you paint a picture of what life is like there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I always find it quite difficult when you're describing like pretty much any African countries. You know, I think that Irish people have one image and yes, there are many, many bad things that happen. Um, But, you know, you have this idea of the danger of a single story. I mean, here there are disasters. It is a developing country. A lot of the institutions, you know, are lacking resources or, or generally not so effective as they should be. But at the same stage, Sierra Leone, it's a very nice country. There's very nice people, you know, there's good things to do. Um, there's people having fun. Like it's not, it's not all disaster. But yeah, when things like this happen, it does really shake everybody and reminds you that you don't have those kind of social protections for the population that you would like to have and, you know, issues around the risks that people take, they're always a lot more exacerbated because of poverty. Like, And I'm sure a lot of the listeners will will have seen maybe Blood Diamond or they'll have heard about the Sierra Leonean war. Um, Like this is a country that has really been both lucid by the West and then also survived like a decade of civil war that was very brutal. Then when they were, you know, recovering from that, there have been more disasters, like for example, the Ebola outbreak, which was really really terrible here and then I think it's something like one in ten children die like when they're still children and I think it's one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the world is here you know the healthcare system was totally decimated by Ebola but also by the war before that so I do think it's important to outline that you know not everything is is terrible and that people here you know they do you know they they have good times and they have bad times and And at the same stage, they feel kind of upset because they're like, well, everybody, you know, everybody only knows bad things about our country. And why don't they also know that, you know, we have all of these amazing parts of it as well, you know, amazing history, um, the landscape, like nice people, good music. You know, there's there's lots going on here. Can you tell me a little bit about the history? I mean, why is it called Freetown, for instance? So Freetown was actually set up as a home for repatriated slaves. It was at one stage like colonized by the British, but also Freetown means literally Freetown. <laughs> like it was set up for um, slaves. I think they came from US, from Canada, from the UK. 
and people were sent back here. And so it's actually quite interesting because the language here, Creo, is kind of a form of pidgin English. Like, so for example, like, how are you is how the body? And then the answer is the body fine. Like if you're saying I'm fine. Um, so if people speak solely, like I can kind of understand it. But the reason for that, I think, is that when people were taken as slaves, like centuries ago, they came from all over West Africa. And so they didn't necessarily share a language. And so when they were returned, large numbers of people were returned here. They didn't have the same language. They just had kind of a form of English um, that they had learned when they were abroad, you know, or that they used to communicate with people from the West. And so that ended up being one of the languages here. I mean, there are obviously like other people who, um, you know, who don't descend from their repatriated slaves. But yeah, that's part of the history. And Sally, in the video that you recorded, the woman is pleading for help from the outside. What kind of help do you think Sierra Leone needs? And what kind of help do you think Sierra Leone is likely to get? I mean, that's a good question. I I think the best thing would just be that hopefully there won't be other big disasters like this. I mean, I think that the government does respond in terms of coordination. Like, for example, I interviewed uh, a colonel at the military hospital and he said that this is one of the best coordinated disasters that he's seen. Like they're learning from each one how to coordinate both between government agencies and then with NGOs as well, how to ask for help, you know, what kind of help is needed and how to divide up what needs to be done. Yeah, I think it's tricky because it's not it's not just about foreign aid, you know, it's about building capacity. And unfortunately, like, for example, the health service was pretty decimated during Ebola. Like, I think there's only a few hundred doctors in the country, you know, and it's a country of eight million people. So... I'm not I'm not a development expert, but it's not so clear that there's one thing that needs to be done. And it's not necessarily about foreign aid. It's about building up the the capacity of Sierra Leoneans. There's just so much inequality, you know, and for example, like the foreigners who come in in terms of like your your spending power, the amount that you earn is so different to locals. And also, like, for example, people working for big organizations or even charities and things like that, the local person will get paid a lot less than the international person. So even in country, that inequality is pretty massive. Sally, thanks for talking to us. Yeah, no problem. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.